guys ever heard of the trite handbook? <laughs> I got three trite questions right out of the trite handbook that I want to ask you this morning. First of all, what are the ingredients to a great life? You don't need to speak out loud, but just to contemplate that. What does it mean to live a great life? Does that mean lots of money? Doesn't hurt, right, to have money. Does it mean, you know, a successful career? A house in Cabo? That could be all right. Does it mean not having to work? Like, who knows? What does, what does it, what are the ingredients of a great life? Secondly, do you ever notice that some people stay calm in stress and in trials and difficulties? They're able to stay, stay calm. How are they able to do that? And then, do you ever wonder why some people's lives are so effective for the kingdom of God? And I don't mean pastors or missionaries. I mean people who have regular jobs, but they're kingdom-minded. They're kingdom-focused on how they live their life, how they spend their money, what they support, etc. How do they get there? Well, I think in the parable we're going to look at this morning... In the words of Jesus, we're going to see the answer to all three of those questions. What's the ingredients to a great life? How do we learn how to stay calm in the middle of difficulties? And then how do we be most effective for the kingdom of Jesus? Parables was a a very effective way that Jesus taught deeper meanings. He would tell a short story and... It, you know, it's kind of like once upon a time, a long time ago, you know, and then he would tell a story. And it was kind of the same. That's his way of teaching. So this one we call the parable of the sower. But I think as we read it, you're going to realize it's a parable about soil, like the, the different soils that Jesus talk about. So it says this. He began to teach again by the sea. And such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land and he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching listen to this behold the sower went out to sow as he was sowing some seed fell beside the road and the birds came and ate it up other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100-fold. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. A couple passages later, he gives an explanation of this parable. He says, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word, which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones in whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. 
Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those, who, those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and a hundredfold. So the parable of the soils. Let's make this real clear. First of all, Jesus is the farmer. He's the sower. His words are the seed, and our hearts are the soil. And so what I think Jesus wants us to get from his parable is how do we become good soil? How do we become people who are effective for the kingdom of God, who can stay calm in the middle of trials and live a great life, a Jesus-modeled life? A lot of agricultural illustrations that Jesus used because they lived in an agricultural society. And I think those kind of metaphors are so much better if we can understand and put ourselves in in, in the audience of, of who he was talking to. Because we live in a world that at the touch of a button, we get information, the internet, etc. It's just fast, fast, fast. But spiritual growth, growing in my relationship with Jesus, growing in my faith, is more like planting a seed into the ground and nurturing it and watching it grow to ultimately producing a harvest. Years ago, when I was a youth pastor, we had a, our own building, and we met on Wednesday nights, and I got there kind of early to set up and had opened the back door, and behind our building, there was this huge like field that just grew weeds three and four feet tall. And the thought hit me, what would it take to turn this little piece of land into a fruitful little area to grow crops? Don't ask me why I went down that road. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was the Lord, but the thought hit me of, well, you'd have to plow up all the weeds. You'd have to till the soil, prepare the soil, water it, fertilize it. Then you put the seed in and then you nurture it. You water it. You fertilize it. You keep the bugs away until it ultimately produces your crops. That's the spiritual illustration that Jesus wants us to understand about our own lives. And I imagine each one of us in this room want to become good soil, that the soil of your heart becomes fruitful in a place where his words produce fruit. So we're talking about soil preparation. Here's kind of the big picture over the next few minutes. We need to understand the types of soil and what they represent for our hearts in this parable. Additionally, how can we help others become good soil? I really think this parable is a model for ministry because people are in different places, different seasons of their spiritual life. Some are on the, the, the hardened path and they're not ready for the word. Some are like the rocky places, some the thorny places, and some are ready to, to hear the word. So let's look at uh, the first soil. The first soil is the path. In, uh, Jesus said, the sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road or the path where the word is sown. And when they hear 
immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown to them. So this past Tuesday before it started getting snowy again, I went on a little field trip. We have some really cool paths behind our house out where we live. It's where I do a lot of walking and contemplating. So I took some photos of to give you a mental illustration. See the path there? I walk on that path all the time. Now, if you took seeds and you threw them on that path, nothing's going to happen. The birds will eat them. It cannot penetrate. So many people have walked on this path, bikes and so forth. So it's not ready for the seed, even though it's soil. It's not ready for it. The seed can't penetrate that. And in each one of these soils, I see in the first three, there's a problem and there's a solution. And how do we become good soil? What's the deeper meaning behind this path where the seed hits the hardened ground, but it can't penetrate the ground? What's the deeper meaning of Jesus here? I would call this problem misplaced purpose. People who do not believe are living a purposeless life or finding purpose in all the wrong things, not in Jesus. So a misplaced purpose is finding my purpose outside of Jesus. Because a person who doesn't believe, I know this was true for me when I first heard about Jesus, like it just kind of banged off my heart. Like it was irrelevant. It didn't make any sense to me. It seemed religious. It didn't see, I didn't see the heart behind it. And maybe you can relate to that. It wasn't until later when my, the soil of my heart was actually ready to receive it. It seems irrelevant to um, unbelievers that you're, you know, you're pursuing other purposes and not realizing you were created for purpose, but Jesus is our purpose. So what's the solution to the problem of misplaced purpose? The solution is soil preparation. If you were going to go to that path, you'd have to bring some machinery out, turn that soil, water it, fertilize it, do it over and over and over until that hardened path became soil that was ready for the seed. Most people who are hardened to the words of Jesus are hardened because of life. Something didn't go their way. Life disappointed them. Or they've been lied to. Or maybe they had a bad experience with church. And so they're just kind of like, eh. What, what do we need to do? If you have unbelieving friends who are opposed to the words of Jesus which I've never found anyone who actually gets introduced to the real Jesus reject him because he is a perfect God of love and grace, but we've been experienced a form of religious or legalism or something like that, man, we got to help till the soil of their heart. And how do we do that? Be a good neighbor, be a good friend, show up and just be there for people. Help meeting practical needs for people, I think is a huge way of preparing the soil of those who don't believe yet. People don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. That's the truth. You can do all your Bible verses and this and that or whatever, but it's, it, if they don't think you care about them, then they're not going to listen. The second soil, the rocky places. Cue the rocky music. Just kidding. You weren't ready for that. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy, 
and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, they immediately fall away. Um, There's the rocky places that I found along the way. There's soil, but there's rocks everywhere. You would have to go and remove those rocks to even get close to that soil becoming good soil. There's no roots that can go. The rocks don't allow the roots to go deep. And in all of us that are following Jesus, regardless of how long you've been following him, the goal is that your roots keep going into the ground of your heart. Your faith grows deeper and deeper because life is going to bring difficulties. Um, Years ago at our old house, we tore out a bunch of bushes. And remember those old spruce bushes that were like a thing back in the day? And so we ripped all those out. But we had this patch probably, you know, from, from me to the edge of the stage of soil that was right next to the house. And Chase, our oldest daughter, said, hey, can we grow a garden? And uh, very impulsively, I said, yeah, let's grow a garden. I know nothing about how to grow a garden, and um, I don't like following directions, but yeah, let's, let's, let's grow a garden. And so we went down to the store, and we bought some carrot seeds, and can't remember what else we did, but we worked the soil, we watered it, put some fertilizer, eventually put the seeds in the ground. And not knowing anything about how to plant a garden, we had put that garden in a place where the sun just beat down all day long. And I think we grew one carrot that was about that big. Literally pulled it out like, oh, it's so cute. Like you make a keychain out of it or something. But it was adorable. But we were impulsive. And I say that, that a lot of people impulsively see Jesus as a quick fix to their life. And don't get me wrong, he does fix people's life. But it's not a quick fix. I've seen people who, they, they, they come to Jesus because he can fix their circumstances. And sometimes the circumstances stay the same, and they stop following Jesus. I remember when I first became a follower of Christ, I had a friend call me. And he said, dude, I want what you have. I heard about what happened to you. And uh, so I drove down to his apartment and read some Bible verses to him, and we prayed, and he said he wanted to follow Jesus. He started coming to church with me, and uh, it lasted about a couple weeks because he had some difficult circumstances that he thought, if I believe in Jesus, then this will be the quick fix to, to my problems, and he still felt empty. He was relying upon feelings and circumstances, and I think that's what Jesus is trying to say about the rocky ground and not having any roots. Don't depend upon your circumstances or your feelings. You depend upon the promises of Jesus and who he's promised to be for us. What's the problem in this one is misplaced faith. It's misplaced faith. Misplaced place, say that fast, misplaced faith is placing your faith in your circumstances. But when you place your faith in your circumstances, circumstances do this. We're healthy and doing great. Uh Uh-oh, bad report. Finances are great. Finances are down. I mean, that's life. Suffering and trials rock our faith. They test our faith. And so having a root system that goes deep so that when the time comes, we don't get blown away by our circumstances. What's the solution to this problem of misplaced faith? Faith is rock removal. 
Just literally picture going and removing those rocks from, from your life, from the soil of your heart. And sometimes we have to help others, so to speak, with this metaphor. Not cliches, not Christian band-aids for they're in a better place. Like that's, it's true, but that it's, doesn't help the pain in the moment when we give a cliche. People need truth. They need truth. Um, in John 16, 33, Jesus says, in this life, you're going to have trials and sorrows of many kind, but take courage. I've overcome the world. So when those trials and sorrows, it's not if they're coming, it's when they're coming. That's, that's the reality of making room for that in our worldview. Then the third soil is the thorny places. And it's, Jesus says, and other seeds are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Here we go. This is my best weeds. Can you see that? Maybe it's a yucca plant or something, but it looked thorny to me. I didn't want to touch it. But if you sowed seed there, those weeds are going to choke out the life of any crop that's trying to grow or any plant. It, it literally chokes the life right out, strangles the plant. What's the problem in this metaphor that's being exposed? It's misplaced hope. Misplaced hope. We get misplaced purpose, misplaced faith, and misplaced hope. The cares of this world. The deceitfulness of wealth. You know, Jesus talked a lot about money. Because money, how we see money, shows a lot about our own life and our own hearts. But we can't, we cannot hope in things that can be taken away from us. People can be taken away. Money, jobs, 401ks, whatever, they all can be taken away. So our ultimate hope has to be in what can't be taken away, and that's eternal life with Jesus. That's his promises of what he's He's done for us. Hope is our lifeline. When you lose hope, man, that's when emotionally and mentally we start breaking down. But we got to have a hope that goes beyond what we see in our, our circumstances. He's promised to be that for us. So what's the solution here? It's weed pulling. We need to put on the gloves, the garden gloves, and, and pull those weeds and, and get those thorns out of there so that the soil of our hearts can produce good fruit. I think we need to help ourselves and help others think about the brevity of life. We don't want to do that because we just want to whistle through life and die in our sleep at 99 or something and never have any issues, but that's not reality. Life is short. Eternity is forever. The other side of death is forever and ever and ever. Life is short, eternity is forever. So there's a couple weeds that stood out to me in what Jesus talked about when he says, don't, let, don't worry, don't get caught up in the cares of this, this life. How many are good at worry? I am. And you know what worry is? Worry is just playing a what-if scenario in your head over and over and over. Well, what if this doesn't work out? What if da-da-da? What if the... And it's just, you're, it's negative meditation. We're told to meditate on the word of God. That's a positive form of meditation. 
negative meditation is worry. And we're usually worried about things that don't even come true. If you figured that out, we're usually worried about things that don't even come true. So we've got to pull that weed of worry by saying, Jesus said this. He said, who of you can add one hour to your life by worry? Like, it's kind of, it's very futile mental gymnastics that we do, so to speak. And then pull the weeds of materialism. He says that, that the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world choke out his words in our life. And as I was thinking about this, what is the antidote to materialism? Because if you, I don't know if you realize this or not, but every single person in this room, every family, every person watching online, the poorest person among us in this room is richer than, is in the top 7% of richest people in the world. 93% of the world lives on extreme poverty. We live pretty high on the hog compared to, to other places. And that's not something we're supposed to be feel guilty about, but we're supposed to be good stewards with what he's given us. And that we learn to have a generosity mentality, a generous mentality. So generosity pulls the weeds of materialism. And as I was thinking about this, I thought of four things that Jesus wants you and I to be generous towards. The local church, this church, he wants you to be generous to wherever it is that you call home, wherever you get fed, wherever you have fellowship, wherever you volunteer, you give of your time, talent, and treasure. Not just one of the three, but all three. He, he, that, that's part of being generous to the local church. Generosity towards children. Children are important to Jesus. He said, let the little ones come to me. And I thank God that we have a very strong children's ministry and youth ministry at our church. I thank God for that. It's fruitful. And it happens because of generosity of people in this church. Like we're a non-denominational church. We don't get any funds from anything else other than the generosity of you guys, of you guys supporting the church with your time, talent, and treasure. Jesus wants us to be generous to the poor. And he wants us to be generous to global missions. Now, whenever I ask you to do something as your pastor, you can know that I do it myself. So when it comes to being in a home group, which is the lifeblood of our church, we're in a, Janelle and I are in a home group. When I say be a part of a core group, we're in a core groups as well. When it comes to giving and being generous to Novation Church, from day one, we have given as generously as we possibly can. I'm not saying that to brag. I hate talking about money. I really do. But it's something that is part of our discipleship to Jesus. You're, um, Martin Luther said there's two conversions. He said the heart and the pocketbook. Those are two conversions that have to happen. But our church relies upon the generosity of our people, of your generosity. And so I want to challenge and be very direct that if you used to give to the church and you're not anymore, would you, would you start giving again? For you, not for me, not for novation, but for your own discipleship unto Jesus. And if you've never given financially and partnered with the church, would, would you start? 
And, and New Testament giving isn't out of guilt or compulsion, and it's not even an amount. It comes from cheerfulness and consistent. The church needs to know what it can rely upon as budgets and things happen. So if you're not giving, would you start giving again? We need it. Like there, We've talked over and over that there's been financial struggles for the first time in the history of our 11 years. But I don't think God's done with this church. I think there's more he wants to do. And so I do want to encourage you to pray about that. And just if you, and there's so many people who have given consistently over the years. Thank you for that. And if you're not giving or you stop giving, this isn't a guilt trip. And, and it's between you and the Lord. But just know that's on the heart of Jesus because the local church is the vehicle for children, the poor, and world missions. And so when you give to the storehouse, as Malachi says, the only place in all of Scripture where God says to test him is in the area of finances. Bring it into the storehouse. The local church, the, the storehouse is a metaphor for the, for the local church. And you're going, please move on from this. But you know what? Don't assume somebody else is going to do it. Don't, don't assume that. I had a mental picture about this um, the other day that if I had a rope and there's a cliff down there and all of us together are holding this rope because down at the bottom there's a handful of people. And if all of a sudden I let go and then somebody else lets go and somebody else lets go, bloop, splat onto the bottom of the cliff because we stop doing our part. When it comes to giving, it's not equal giving, it's equal participation. That's really what it boils down to, that everyone participates. Got something stronger for me? I'm just kidding. (laughs) All right. The good soil. Soil number four is the soil that receives the word of God. Becoming good soil, you become good soil when you find your joy in obedience to Jesus. My heart, your heart becomes good soil when I say, Lord, I want to find my joy in doing what you say to do. Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. So we hear the word, we accept the word, and we embrace the word. Hear it, accept it, and embrace it, and then put it into practice. We can all become good soil, but like the patience of a farmer, be patient. It's little by little, day by day. And I think the more you want to become good soil, the more difficult you realize it is to follow Jesus. Like he didn't say, take up your easy chair and follow me. He said, take up your cross. It, following Jesus doesn't fix everything in life. It actually makes life a little more difficult because there's a lot more accountability. But that's a good thing. The way of the life of Jesus is the best there is. We stay good soil by applying the words of Jesus when he said, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. 
so neither can you unless you abide in me. Apart from him, you can't do anything. You can't have a good marriage. You can't have a good family life, work, whatever it is. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We have to start there and believe that, but then know that he calls us to participate with him. And as we stay in a vital, connected relationship with Jesus through prayer and the word and with others, then we can bear fruit. This past Wednesday began Lent. And us in the evangelical world, we don't do a whole lot, but you see the people with the ashes. It was Ash Wednesday. And um, it begins this 40 days of the season of Lent that leads you up to the cross and um, the resurrection, Easter Sunday. And during that time, the church has people who participate, it often will give something up for Lent, some sort of sacrifice, but it's a, a way of recentering and repenting and, and refocusing on what's most important. The number 40 is a, a, a cool number in the Bible. It's, it's the number of deliverance. And so Jesus was in the desert for 40 days, and then there was a, a deliverance at the end from his temptation. Children of Israel, 40 years in wandering in the desert until they entered the promised land. We're going to sing a song if you stand with me. And it's called Make Room. And it really is a prayer of God, I want to become good soil. I want to make room for what you want to do in my life. So let's sing this as a response to becoming good soil. This is my surrender. 
we could close about becoming good soil that someone had written and so up on the screen there's gonna we'll go line upon line and we're gonna go old school and we're gonna pray this together uh, as a congregation ready all right okay Jesus you sow yourself the word of truth generously the word of life graciously Defend us from the evil one who seeks to snatch us away. Fortify us for hard times and costly discipleship that we may endure. Deliver us from distraction, from worldly desires, and all that would lure us and choke us with false promises. Till us, turn us, enrich us with every blessing of your spirit that we may be good, good soil forever faithful and fruitful for you. In Jesus' name, amen.